Hi, David. The US Federal Reserve meeting was highly anticipated. Did it live up to its headline billing? Hi, Alex. Yeah, I think it did, um, although maybe not uh, in the way that some market participants expected. Um, we had a big upgrade to the Fed's growth forecast for this year to 6.5%, but that's kind of broadly in line with the consensus of um, economic forecasts. Uh, but the Fed also thinks inflation will be modestly above its 2% target by the end of this year. But the Fed did not take the opportunity to push back on the move higher in US Treasury yields. So uh, that's not to say that the Fed was was hawkish. Uh, far from it. I, th I think this is arguably you know, the most dovish Fed in recent history. But while the Fed will be more patient than in previous cycles in waiting for actual data to confirm the strength of the recovery and higher inflation, the bond market is, is reacting to expectations for stronger growth and rising inflation risk. Um, so, you know, the Fed is not engaged in a stealth uh, yield curve control, despite its $120 billion per month bond buying. And, you know, Fed Chair Jerome Powell it didn't really express concern about higher yields. And, and to be fair, overall financial conditions in the US remain very easy. And although we've seen some market volatility, um, equity and credit markets, you know, have proved very resilient. So for me, the, you know, the takeaway from yesterday's meeting is that the Fed will be reactive to actual and, and by definition, lagging economic data, leaving the market to lead. And the Fed is not standing in the way of, of higher Treasury yields. You mentioned that the Fed revised up its growth and inflation forecasts. But was there any change to its interest rate projections, the so-called dots? Yeah, so uh, this, despite forecasting a modest overshoot of its inflation um, target, uh, the Fed signalled it remains committed to its new flexible average inflation targeting regime, or FATE for short, uh, with most of the Fed's policy committee, the FOMC, not expecting a liftoff in policy rates from, from the current zero level until 2024. Um, so no change in the, the, the so-called median dot. That said, you know, maybe a little chink in the armour of the Fed's new uh, sort of policy regime. Um, seven of the 18 members of the FOMC, not all of whom are voting members, think the first rate hike will be in 2023. Two actually think there'll be four hikes uh, by, by 2023. Um, Fed Chair Powell spent much of the press conference playing down the dots, which he said are you know, the individual FOMC member projections based on a very uncertain future, you know, more guide to policy uh, reaction rather than a formal set of um, predictions. I, I, I thought it was actually quite an assured press conference by Jay Powell. And I think he made very clear that the Fed will maintain zero policy rates and QE for as long as it takes to support a full recovery of the economy from the pandemic. And, you know, he emphasised that the economy is still, you know, far from making substantial progress towards its maximum employment and inflation targets, the, the Fed's precondition for tapering its bond buying. And the economy is you know, still a long way away from warranting a liftoff in interest rates. It does seem that the Fed was very dovish, yet bond yields continue to move higher. The initial market reaction, which one always has to be you know, pretty wary of, but the initial market reaction was, was actually that longer dated 
treasury yields um, actually uh, fell somewhat. Um, but since then, the yield on the 10-year Treasury note has actually moved above 1.7% and the Treasury curve has uh, steepened. Um, I, I don't think this is because the Fed was not dovish enough, but because they did not offer any, as, as, as we've discussed, real pushback on higher yields. I think the problem with the Fed saying it will be patient in waiting for the data to confirm a strong recovery and for actual inflation to be sustainably higher is that markets react to expectations and the distribution of those expectations for future growth and inflation. Now, you, you know, it's clear that the Fed is, you know, sceptical that letting the economy run hot will translate into sustained higher inflation. But if they're wrong, it's bond investors paying the price. Um, the Fed can afford to be patient, but it's hard for the bond market to ignore the risk of meaningfully higher inflation, even if that risk is, is, is a tail risk. Um, you know, the Fed's not going to tie in policy until the economy is booming, inflation is rising. Um, and so it's leaving the bond market to, to sort of react as the recovery gathers pace. And, and the Fed is so far at least content for the bond market to do so. So the path of least resistance and momentum is therefore, I think, for higher yields and a steeper yield curve. The US Federal Reserve was not the only central bank meeting this week. The Brazilian central bank also held a policy meeting. That, that's right. And for emerging market watchers, it grabbed almost as much attention as the Fed meeting. Um, uh, it's interesting. I mean, the Brazilian central bank, you know, wasn't debating whether it should hike rates in two years or, or, or three years' times. They, they did hike rates and they actually increased uh, pol the policy rate by uh, a more than expected 75 basis points to two and three quarter percent. Um, in, in contrast to the US, where there's a lot of talk of higher inflation, but as yet not real that much evidence, um, inflation in Brazil has been picking up. It was 5.2% in February, uh, the highest level since January 2017, and well above the uh, central bank's target of 3.75%. Um, a big part of the acceleration in inflation is down to higher commodity prices. But, you know, the, the money markets in Brazil are, are pretty aggressive. They're almost kind of demanding the central bank to um, hike rates quite aggressively. They're still pricing another, you know, 400 basis points or so of rate increases over the next 12 months. Uh, but that also, I think, reflects uh, market concerns around the fiscal and political outlook for Brazil. And you know, these, these are concerns which are especially pertinent to Brazil, but the Brazilian central bank you know, may well have sort of fired the gun, if you like, on the normalization of monetary policy in emerging markets after what has been pretty extraordinary easing of policy uh, during the worst of the pandemic uh, last year. Um, I should also very briefly just mention uh, Turkey, the Turkey central bank, uh, resumed raising rates. It lifted its one-week repo rate to 19% from 17%, again, due to upside risks from um, inflation. I think it's clear, you know, emerging market central banks can't be as patient as the um, Fed. Uh, but the path to policy normalisation uh, will be, I think, quite divergent, quite different across countries. I think that's going to create, you know, some interesting opportunities for investors in uh, emerging market assets.
And speaking of other central banks, since we last spoke, the ECB also had a policy meeting. Yes, I mean, I think the contrast between the Fed and the ECB was was is pretty stark. Um, the ECB left its growth forecast for this year virtually unchanged. Um, it is worried uh, by higher bond yields, and it actually announced it would step up the pace of its asset purchases, although it didn't increase the overall envelope of its uh, bond buying program. So it might be sort of setting up some issues uh, further down the road. But, you know, nonetheless, it, it did signal it's worried about higher bond yields. It was going to re- is going to react to that. Um, you know, that's as, as we've just discussed. I mean, there's quite a big contrast with the Fed where, you know, there was a big upgrade to its growth forecast and it views higher bond yields as, as mostly reflecting greater confidence in the economic uh, recovery. And, and I think the slow pace of vaccine rollout and uh, easing of COVID restrictions and a less expansive fiscal policy in Europe compared to the US is being reflected in a, you know, widening gap in growth expectations and has been reflected in the bond market. So the the, the Atlantic spread or, or, or the yield gap between the German Bund and the 10-year Treasury note is now almost 200 basis points and it looks like it's going to further widen. And finally today, David, how should investors navigate higher bond yields and interest rate volatility? Well, it's, it's, it's been a very difficult start of the year from a you know, sort of beta return or market return perspective for uh, core fixed income. Uh, I mean, sort of uh, for the US uh, Treasury market, it's, it's, it's amongst the worst sort of starts for the year from a return perspective, you know, going back to the 1970s and uh, the worst since 2008 for US investment grade market. Um, I, I do think that in this environment of, uh, you know, rising bond yields, greater uh, interest rate volatility, then absolute return, flexible and globally focused fixed income strategies are the ones that are best placed to navigate such a market. I, I think you, you, know, you can generate positive returns by being short bonds, by exploiting shifts in yield curves and relative value across markets that we've been um, uh, uh, discussing during this uh, podcast. Um, for European and Japanese investors, a steeper treasury curve means that actually US dollar credit, including you know, dollar-denominated emerging market debt, is actually offering you know, increasingly attractive FX hedge yields, more attractive than was the case in the, in the two or three years before the pandemic-induced sell-off last year. Uh, more, more generally, you know, as we've discussed, I do think that you know, higher-yielding debt clearly offers a greater spread cushion um, against rising government bond yields, has less interest rate or, or duration risk. Uh, so I think it makes sense to have a bias towards high yield relative to um, high grade uh, credit. Um, and it's not surprising that we have witnessed investor inflows into floating rate assets, notably leveraged loans um, and collateralized loan obligations, as well as short duration credit strategies. So for example, a blended hard currency index of emerging market sovereign and corporate debt with a maturity of one to three years offers a dollar yield of almost 4% with relatively little credit and little interest rate um, uh, risk. So you know, I think in terms of the current environment that we're in, I think navigating those uh, you know, higher yields, greater volatility, I think requires uh, fixed income and credit investors to think flexibly, globally, 
and and generally to have a bias to taking credit over interest rate risk. Thanks for your time today, David, and look forward to talking again in a couple of weeks. Thanks very much, Alex. This podcast is issued by Blue Bay or one of its entities. Please check the entire Blue Bay disclaimer at the following website, www.bluebay.com forward slash podcast disclaimer. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only. It is not intended, nor should it be intended as investment, tax or legal advice. This podcast does not constitute an offer to sell, nor is it a solicitation of an offer to purchase any security or investment product in any jurisdiction. This podcast is not available for distribution in any jurisdiction where such distribution would be prohibited and is not aimed at such persons in those jurisdictions. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Blue Bay makes no express or implied warranties or representations with respect to the information contained in this podcast and hereby expressly disclaim all warranties of accuracy, completeness or fitness for a particular purpose. Blue Bay is under no obligation to update the information in the podcast to reflect changes after the publication date. The information contained in this podcast is believed to be reliable, but Blue Bay cannot and does not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness or completeness. The document is intended only for professional clients and eligible counterparties as defined by the Markets and Financial Instruments Directive or in the US by accredited investors as defined by the Securities Act of 1933 or qualified purchases as defined in the the Investment Company Act of 1940 as applicable and should not be relied upon by any other category of consumer. No part of this document may be reproduced, redistributed or passed on directly or indirectly to any other person, published in whole or in part for any purpose in any manner without the prior written permission of Blue Bay or one of its entities. Copyright 2021.